Okay, Chuck, are you ready? Have we only have one shot? We got to make this work. Uh, wait, you didn't give just just me just read your lines. I'll oh. give you the paper. Oh. Okay. okay, are you guys ready? Are you ready? Uh, All right. Uh, okay. uh, um, are you ready to deconstruct with friends? What the, what the hell? Where did, where did all this come from? <laughs> Deconstructing your faith used to be lonely you got a band? and boring wait, as hell. Wait, wait, wait. But no one must wait. deconstruct their faith alone ever again when you um, deconstruct with friends. Um, Chuck, tell them what we mean. Um, yeah, that's, that's right, Brady. Yeah. Uh, the life after has a... Uh, uh, what the hell, Brady? Uh, I went full on Jumanji on this one. But keep going. He's a rental by the hour. The, the Life After Podcast has a secret Facebook community and Slack yeah. channel for people deconstructing the, the uh, Christian fundamentalism and other oppressive religions. Uh, meet new people and, and, elephants. Uh, and deconstruct with, with friends. friends. <laughs> nice job, Chuck. You even got the echo. Uh, thanks. Uh, that was kind of cool, I guess. Oh god, he's touching me with his trunk. Uh, you can apply for the secret group it's on, our on our Facebook by answering three entrance questions. Your membership is hidden, and the admins keep the room constructive and helpful. Now, can we get this elephant out of here? Nope, probably not. But we can deconstruct with friends. We don't need no Jesus or God. We've got our own miracles. We don't, we don't need none, here. none of that. We don't need none of no none of that. Welcome to the life after. This is Brady Harden and I'm Chuck Parson. And uh, uh, Brady. Yeah. What's up, Chuck? <laughs> so uh, um, I was listening to uh, an episode of This American Life recently, which you know, uh, on our our first segment today, we'll be uh, discussing the trappings of trauma and uh that was my hourglass did you not no i was letting you go i was letting you riff <laughs> and it was you were just, to be just as boring you as just i thought looked it would at, be. you just looked at me like uh, well i was waiting because i don't think there's any like muppets like, you know, that jump when you, in when you this american start life talking to like little kids about something that they don't understand and they're but they're being polite that was the face you were just giving me I'll be honest with you, that's my permanent face. <laughs> I have resting whatever face that Rest, is. Resting, con resting confused child face. Polite, uh, confused child face. <laughs> no, but what were you saying? I, I'm following, I'm following. Uh, so they, they brought up something that I hadn't thought about in a while, um, which is like sort of a often a discussed in the, in the processing of PTSD uh, or, you know, in our particular case, religious trauma syndrome. Um, something that's called a stuck point. Okay. Um, which like the, I guess the, I think the more complex your trauma is probably the more stuck points you have. Um, but like it, say that, uh, you were in a, you were, you're processing your trauma. You were recently in a car accident, right? It's like, uh, you're, you were psychologically traumatized by a car accident. Okay. And you might think like a stuck point for you is, is basically a, Something that you hold to be true, something that you believe is true, uh, that is not necessarily true, or is just like straight up not true at all. So give me an example in that uh, car yeah, accident. Yeah, so in the car accident, it would be like, if I hadn't turned around before I got in the car to go get my banana that I forgot, mm. the timing would have all been different and I wouldn't have gotten in a car accident. Right. So it's kind of like your brain's way of like reverse moth 
what what, what do you call that? Where you you've got the 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 moth that oh, goes the back moth, in time. The, the, uh, the butterfly effect. Yeah. Oh, thank you. The moth. The moth. The moth. The moth man effect. The moth man prophecy yeah, effect. Yeah. Right. No. The um the butterfly effect. So it's kind of like your brain's way of butterfly in effect yeah some sort of meaning that puts blame onto onto you or to you, it's a circumstances or variable that you can it's fix. usually right yeah it's usually it's usually something that is like there's no way for you to know mm-hmm. whether that has anything to do with anything because time and knowledge was also a very right right or if like you know if you're like a rape victim you might say oh well, if i hadn't walked down the street by myself mm-hmm. or if i hadn't if i hadn't stayed at work late you know like it's sort of a way to it's a way to blame yourself or it's a way to apply um you know some kind of blame to something that doesn't necessarily but the, mm. the point is that it it, it keeps you from being able to process the trauma properly in the health in a healthful way because you're not you're not <laughs> you're you're sort of you're stuck it's called a you're, stuck you're, point you're right? making that loop right yeah you're just running a loop of like if i hadn't if it hadn't if this person hadn't instead <clears throat> of just like accepting and desensitizing which is what you really need to be doing that makes sense. I mean, I, I think with, you know, that's kind of the response to a lot of trauma, isn't it? Um, that it's a repetitive thing, that it either sometimes has a tendency of trying to replay and circulate itself through our experiences, um, right. or at times that even when we initiate that, like, repetitive thing to replay it, that could be helpful to our exposure uh, to it. But yeah, there's kind of like a rippling effect to, right. to trauma. And it kind of, you know, with me, my, some of my neuroses involve kind of some OCD tendencies and having that sort of like looping and playing over and over and over, Mm -hmm, um, and learning how to release those and let there be closure. It's kind of similar. Is it not to how some of those circular things play out within, for sure, within trauma? So I'm, I'm wondering what, like, okay, so we just, I basically just introduced this concept to you, but mm-hmm. based on what I just said, what what do you think in your religious experience? What were some of your stuck points? Well, I mean, well, first, big big time speaking overall view. I'm thinking of kind of what we talked about with Andrew Josco uh, a long time ago when it came to how the Bible was written and that being a response to. to oh, trauma. trauma response. Yeah, yeah that's so that kind of like circular, yeah. like just stuck points, kind of makes sense to me that it kind of stops like a book that was written because of trauma hypothetically might cause you to have the same (laughs) right it's going to kind of create the same things and have like a circular effect oh i would never have gone there that's really interesting some of my big stuck points though definitely had to do with my sexuality that you know if i would have or if i had not a or if i would have yeah but none of those bloods were anything generic or or were anything specific it was all just like thought abstract things um hmm Another one I had in this was uh, a friend of mine had passed like it was was on his deathbed and I took a nap uh, and didn't hear the phone calls. And then later on, like uh, had to oh, rush there and was yeah. there in his deathbed, yeah, and, you yeah, know, didn't yeah. get to speak to him. And then he passed after I was there. But it was like one of those things like, oh, if I could have gotten there earlier, maybe I could have had a conversation, more closure. But, right. you know, part of 
your grieving process too is forgiving yourself of those things and yeah. releasing some of that. Yeah. So no, I had a lot of big ones and within the faith, uh, in my fundamentalism. What about you? What sticks out in your mind? Uh, the first thing that comes to mind for sure is like, uh, my quote unquote pornography addiction. Yeah. It was okay. like, Oh, if I hadn't, if I had, you know, it's like, I waited until I was married to have sex. Right. Like, mm-hmm. which is more than, same. Right? I don't even know what the percentage might be, but it's more than most people can 69%. say, right? Yeah, 69. <laughs> Jesus. It's nice. What's wrong with me? Um, I, you're a human adult. I don't know. <laughs> Bad to see you, uh, If I hadn't, like, got, like, watched porn a bunch, like, maybe my marriage maybe would have worked. And if my marriage had worked. shitty husband. <laughs> then, yeah. <laughs> I mean. No, I know what you mean, though. I There's mean, like that. You butterfly affect yourself. Like, in yeah, weird yeah. Ass it's ways. like if I, if I had followed the rules better, you yeah. know, is what it boils down to. Like, maybe, maybe I just didn't get it because, you know. Yeah. And Rebecca's maybe, like, if I would have fed that other guy's horse some water, you know, maybe I would have gotten <laughs> married to him. <laughs> Was that Rebecca? I don't remember. Uh, yeah, that sounds right. You know, Rebecca actually, and yeah, her, yeah, right. What, Oof, that what like, else were you? That was a callback. Uh, but but like another thing though is that that sort of like circular thing that you're talking about these stuck points creates magical thinking. It kind of promotes it. Oh, it's a, it's a type sure, of magical for thinking. Sure. Yeah. And so it's I'm, definitely a t- like like if we were to talk about this, like okay, so stuck points apply specifically to trauma, but. If we were to just talk about like that cycle, that cycling, Ooh. like that's a mechanism that religion uses to keep people in religion. Like me, for yeah, sure. yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, maybe if I would have just. It's uh, like that lordship fishing. shit you were like into. It's that Ugh. Paul Washer shit that yeah, like. If I'm not that like, oh, if you're if you're struggling with sin, then it must be because I'm not really saved. You're not to... devoting your whole self. But the other thing too is like, oh man, if I would have just fished from the right side of the boat, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I mean, mm-hmm. it sounds stupid, but like yeah. that sort of shit, and especially if it's trauma induced, it's going to take even more of the logic and the reasoning out of yeah. it because it's emotional based. And so that sort of thinking really just kind of gets you stuck, like you yeah. said. Yeah. For sure. So, you know, I mean, I guess like, uh, like our religious trauma is so stretched out and complex and it takes so many different forms, right? I mean, it's like a car accident is one thing. When you're in a car accident, you have trauma. You can process the car accident over and over and over and over and over. Mm -hmm. And you can figure, you can nail down those stuck points a lot easier than like people with religious trauma which takes place over several years complex and it's really yeah. difficult to to narrow down. yes yeah exactly cptsd and it's really difficult to narrow down what specifically was and wasn't traumatizing if it wasn't just the whole fucking experience right so it's like it it takes us a lot of time to figure out what our stuck points are but i think you know what are those thoughts that are just like keep popping up what are the what are the doubts you have what are the things that what are the things about your trauma that try to blame you for the trauma? Mm. Try to blame you for the thing that happened or try yeah. to blame you for how you feel about it, right? Mm. Or, the, or the fact that you have trauma at all. Like that's, that's kind of how you would identify those. Yeah, I think it's important to find those and just kind of find ways healthy through a therapist or whatever to let those go. Yep. Speaking of therapist. Hey, we got a therapist on the show today. Hello. <laughs> hi Janice. Uh this is our guest Janice. Hi. Janice say hi. Hi everyone. Um Janice comes from a hyper 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 fundamentalist background. 
Um, and we're going to, we'll get a little bit into that. And, uh, now she's doing a lot of work to help people with their religious trauma. Uh, she has a workshop, uh, called the divorcing religion workshop, which I love the name of, and, and we'll get into why it's called that. And then, uh, she also has a conference coming up. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> well, that's not the only reason, but that has something to do with it. And, uh, and, uh, she has a, a the court conference, which is, uh, centered on religious trauma no conference on religious conference. trauma sorry yeah Con- thank conference. you on conference on religious trauma coming up which will feature uh among other keynote speakers uh marlene Wynell, who's been on the show who we're a big fan of who is this basically marlene. the reason this show exists um, <laughs> bless you marlene <laughs> saint marlene <laughs> Before she would hate that. She's going to ask us to pull her episode because I called her that. Before we uh, go to commercial, can you tell us two interesting things about yourself? Ooh, this is fun. Let's <laughs> put her That's on the spot. Um, I have been interviewed both by uh, Dr. Phil's producers and Oprah Winfrey's Ooh. producers. Ooh. Oh, my God. Ooh. Like many years ago. Yeah. And I have also uh, spent time in a couple of Canadian penitentiaries. Oh, of course, very I, was le- oh. I was leading worship at the time, right? Oh, but it sounds you- more exciting. Because <laughs> <laughs> they send you there for not did saying a dime. sorry. She did a dime up there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for, for, yeah, for, for being a radical fundamentalist. It's like orange uh, is a new black. Well, that is awesome. We are looking forward to diving into your story and to um, getting some really good advice from you. Uh, looking forward to talking about divorce uh, and grief and how those have to do with deconstructing. But we will be right back <laughs> with friends after this. And we're back. Thank you for listening to the life after out there. Those people that are listening out there. <laughs> Why you keep on saying out we're there? What are you, Fifel? <laughs> Somewhere out there. there. All right. I don't know why I started on such a high octave. That was uh, weird. We're that here weird. with Somewhere. I was like doing a cartoon voice. I sang that at a, a Christian choir group. Uh, what? In like, in like, yeah, fourth grade probably. Why? Uh, <laughs> How was that Christian? Dude, why any? Why any of it? You know? I mean, we also sang Gloria, but I think the teacher just liked it. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> we're we're here with uh, we're here with Janice. We're pretty. Yeah, she's telling us to wrap it up. We gave her the hand signals, and now we need to take them back. Uh, Janice, you okay? So you grew up um, in a, a a pretty fundamentalist situation right uh up there and are you from british columbia originally i am okay yeah cool. and my um i grew up actually in a pentecostal home so okay. here we have the pentecostal assemblies of canada they're equally crazy and nutty as the american okay pentecostal gotcha yeah okay. um, situation um but i didn't go like totally not so fundamentalist until um i was married 
And my right. husband and I, my husband at the time, mm. uh, <laughs> he went to a he went to a conservative Bible college, and that's okay. when I started seeing, oh, there's ladies that wear head coverings. What's that about? So you were kind and, of like all or nothing. You, I mean, you were like she had head coverings, dude. Yeah, I know. I yeah, I get yeah. She, you, you were like uh, you were like not trying to half-ass this in any way, right? I mean, you were I really have, trying to figure out what you should be doing seriously devoted yes mm. i have always had trouble finding the middle i always tend to go <laughs> way over one side and way over the other side and my faith was uh no different and and i did grow up uh in a home where from the time i was born um you know we were taught about the bible and about jesus church was regular and several times a week um and my relationship with this jesus and god was very real to me mm-hmm. and very serious to me. Mm. So it, it made sense to me, I guess, as time went on, that I just took it more and more seriously. We talk mm-hmm. a lot on the show kind of about how, like, there was, particularly with millennials, it seems like there was this, like, weird gap where we were, like, indoctrinated so effectively from a young age that it was so much more real to us than it was to our parents. Was that kind of the case for you? Were you, like, more into it even than your than your parents and your family? Yes, but I also think that might have to do with being born into it. My parents mm. were not born into it, so my parents right. got saved, using my air quotes, got saved um, once they were already adults. But it, once if you're born into it and your indoctrination starts in childhood, your identity doesn't have an opportunity to develop the, apart from that indoctrination. Absolutely. The way that I look at it is, you know, kind of like the, the frog in the kettle business, but then there's like, what about the tadpoles that were hatched from their eggs inside of the pot? You know, mm. like that's where they have started. And so you're already at that temperature. And so <laughs> kind of by the time that we had, you know, our generation, you yeah. know, my parents had already been, you know, already cooked. And then that was the only <laughs> yeah. world we knew. We were like, oh, turn it up. Turn up the yeah. heat. <laughs> Tell us about the pond. <laughs> yeah, I have to this say that, that whole pot has to go. If frogs and tadpoles have been boiling in that pot, I don't want that pot. Yeah, anymore. no, I, I agree. <laughs> Unless I'm at a French restaurant. <laughs> Unless it's uh, Betty <laughs> Crocker. <laughs> oh boy. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Croker. I just said croaker. Yeah. You know. Damn it, I ruined that joke. All right. I really just ruined that joke. Betty Croker. That's what I meant to say, guys. I'm sorry. Can we edit that joke back to where I don't say the wrong thing first? No, we're leaving it just <laughs> like it just like it was for sure. Okay. Uh, that's even better. Uh, okay. So your um, your husband. Fast forward a little bit because we've you know we're all very familiar with the the process of childhood indoctrination. Uh, your husband was wanted to be a pastor, right? The, uh, yes. Your first husband, I, sorry, <laughs> your yeah. your yeah. your former husband, I should say. Um, mm-hmm. And and you were you were right on board with him. What what did that journey look like? Because it it took some interesting kind of dips and turns. You moved around a little bit. Sure did. So um, we were introduced by our young adult pastor who totally had it in his mind to set us up. Hmm. And um, my former husband was an apologist, very bright fellow, like quite an intellectual person. And I was really attracted to that. And um, also he seemed to love Jesus very much. So those were like my only two things, really. Hmm. Um, And uh, yeah, so shortly after we had our first child, he said that he wanted to go to Bible college and being the good Christian wife, 
I, of course, supported him in that. Mm -hmm. So off we went to rural Alberta to a very small town. And uh, it was a it was totally different just going from living in a regular kind of city to this town that only exists because of the Bible college. Mm, it's okay. very weird. Yeah. Very Stepfordish, you know? Right. Um, Stepfordish. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, totally. And then while we were there, uh, so I became the president of the student wives fellowship and was very involved on campus. I was um, at home raising our children. We had two daughters by then. Um, and then I started noticing women who weren't on the Bible college. They weren't part of the campus, but they would come into town to use the store. And they all wore head coverings. And I thought, what is that about? That's mm -hmm. really interesting. And I figured it had something to do with the Bible, but wasn't quite too sure. And then so I decided I would really study it. Uh, in the more I studied it in the New Testament and of course looking using lexicons and all that kind of stuff right the more I thought holy cow why isn't why aren't all women still doing this we don't we haven't been excused from this um, and also I saw the head covering as a symbol of submission and mm. I can have a fairly strong temperament and personality and my former husband is a fairly meek fellow and I thought maybe it would help me to be more submissive mm. if I wore this symbol on my head and I was very serious about my faith absolutely believed it believed everything in the bible was true um yeah I just didn't even didn't question it at all and I wanted to be you know live as close to a biblical godly life as I could. So I approached my husband and said, do you mind if I start wearing a covering? I think that it is biblical. Um, and I'm interested in exploring this. And he said, okay, yeah, go for it. Um, and then I also started fellowshipping more with these people. And it was a very mm. closed group of Mennonites. Mm, so, okay. but, you know, I was, I kind of became a Menocostal. So, Menacostal. kind of Mennonite, but still, I had like the Pentecostal. Like pre-Menacostal or post-Menacostal? <laughs> you, you can't ask women if they're post-Menacostal. <laughs> they're post-Menacostal. I'm, really I'm really glad that you're... that. I mean, I'm glad we're talking about this because like, I don't think we've ever talked about any Anabaptist sect on the show. And Mennonites are just like, so, it's so interesting to me. And I think a lot of people don't even really know that they exist. So what was that community like? Um, well, I, uh, like you, I just thought this is fascinating. This is a fascinating opportunity to peek into a culture hmm. that most outsiders don't get to see. Um, and, and so... Uh, stopped wearing any makeup, any jewelry, covered my hair, only wore long skirts and dresses, no more pants, no more shorts, didn't cut my daughter's hair. So both my girls, they had hair down, you know, down to their waist and um, no TV. Uh, oh, only, God. Only, only Christian influences in the home. We had a TV, but only to watch uh, VeggieTales, like VHS tapes. Oh, right? yeah, that was acceptable. Back in the day. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, indeed. Um, so the people on the Bible College campus thought I was going a little nuts, going a little too conservative. But for my truly conservative friends, I was still much too yeah. worldly. Mm -hmm. And so we would attend their services um, and 
They didn't have a pastor. Uh, it was always just a different man from the congregation who was speaking. And they uh, were s- separated, the women on one side, men on the other, for seating and no instruments. Um, yeah, it was interesting. I felt that they were very um, genuine. Mm-hmm. I felt like they were very genuine. There was a simplicity there. Certainly, uh, higher education wasn't something that they pushed at all. Their kids were generally done school between grade eight and 10. Um, And if they bought a new car, they would rip out the stereo. And, and yeah, that, that sort of Mm. thing. And I would, so like, no, just as little outside influence as possible. Right. Yes, yes. And if they owned a business, they could have a fax machine, um, but they certainly couldn't have, they couldn't do email or anything mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. They couldn't have TVs, but they could have, uh, you know, microwaves and dishwashers. Huh. So there were different rules. And then for me, um, my I could have um, a pattern on my clothing. Say I could have flowers on my, but there were rules about the size Whoa. of that pattern. Yeah, so it couldn't be it couldn't be as small as a dime because that was too busy. Couldn't be as large really oh. as a loony. Couldn't even really be as large as a quarter because then you're trying to draw attention to yourself. So you're always kind <laughs> of like, well, where where am I? What can I do? You always keep um, your change on you when you go clothes shopping. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I relate relate to that, though, of that, you know, whenever there is such a weird rule and you don't know if the guideposts are, are, you don't know if the posts are moving because it's all so fucking abstract. Yeah, it's very subjective. There's no way to verify or to test your, you know, to check your answers or to test anything. It's just, I remember when I was younger, I was afraid to wear too much black. Oh my God, what if they think that I'm like, you know, goth goth or something. (laughs) Um, Think I'm, I listen to Mary. Marilyn Manson. Right? But it was kind of that same... He had two ribs removed to suck his own dick. He didn't. God. But (laughs) that's kind of that same thing, though, isn't it? Of, like, where we're constantly having to guess. And it kind of creates, like, a thing for our brain to latch onto and stick with. I don't know. I, you You know... Sorry. Oh, go ahead. Go uh, I mean, it's I was just going to say... Well, you know, whatever. It's I'm not... I talk all the time on the show. Um mm-hmm. I was really drawn to the the Mennonite communities. I never like got personally involved in one, but I had friends that were. And part of why it was interesting is because of the the just like raw asceticism was just like, oh, we're rejecting technology, we're rejecting like luxuries, right? And a lot, I was really drawn to that because Jesus said, you know, the son of man has no place to rest his head or like, yes. you know, uh, the rich, the rich young fools, like sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then come follow me. And I was like really into those particular teachings and like to the point where I was very anti mainstream evangelicalism because it was so, and it was so, so obviously yeah. materialistic right, and like right. Americanized mm-hmm. and Westernized. So I was I was drawn to I was never quite that extreme but I was really drawn to that kind of asceticism. So it, it's interesting that you that you bring all that up. Yeah, the the fundamentalism, uh, extreme rule following for me was very comfortable. So mm, I in yeah. my Pentecostal home mm-hmm. that I grew up in, um, my dad uh, is very volatile emotionally. Unfortunately, there's some mental health issues there. So my siblings and I learned early on, early on that there's great benefit in following rules. Mm, we could yes. figure out what the rules mm-hmm. were. We could be safe. Um, so that's kind of how I lived 
my life, just feeling, just being very, very safe. And even now I've been, I've been out of religion for a number of years. It's very hard for me to, um, to break rules. Mm-hmm. It's still hard for me mm-hmm. after all this mm-hmm. time. My, my partner teases me about it and he's all the time trying to push me to, <laughs> to break those rules. Sure. Um, but I still struggle with it. And that's part of for sure what drew me to this closed Mennonite group. I thought here are some people who actually love God so much that they are really willing to um, eschew everything that the world has to offer. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's sort of like there's, there's a brand of fundamentalism or of like, even, I don't even know if it's fundamentalism particularly, but just anybody that's really, really trying to follow the Bible is like, you get into this pattern where you're like, if there's not a rule for it, we need to make a rule for it. You know, we need to like come that up with true. something that it, mm-hmm. I mean, and, it, and you end up with things like quarter sized versus dime sized flowers, you know, yeah. and you just, you can yeah. go down that spiral forever. And it, it, it also happens to give preachers like infinite material <laughs> to talk about, you know, that is true. <laughs> so you can just yeah. keep making more and more rules. What my husband at the time said, as I kept, um, you know, making things narrower and narrower, he said, you're, you're making your circle smaller and smaller, what's going to be left. He, he had wow. some wisdom there. But he wow. also, he didn't become religious until he was in his late teens. So again, he had grown up uh, with, a you know, an identity that was formed. I, I didn't, my identity completely revolved around uh, being a Christian, being a fundamentalist, wow. and then it was being a homeschool mom. Um, you know, mm. that's really interesting. Um, be about what you were saying about making your circle smaller. Cause I know that the last church community that I was really involved in was a Calvinistic, uh, high pressure community. Oh, good time. Yeah, yeah. You know it. And it got to the point where I was thinking about how small we thought the, the, the body of Christ was or how small we thought the church was. Oh, the and remnant. The remnant, but it, you know, it <laughs> the hit elect. Me. Well, what really bothered me was, you know, we had Charles Spurgeon who said that uh, that God showed, you know, his his love and his forgiveness and his grace more because you know there's more of that of him and, and then his wrath. But I kept thinking, I'm like, no, the Bible says narrow is the way. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you do the math there, and it's like, no, he's displaying his wrath and sending people to hell more than he's sending his love. But I'm like, but wait, God is love. And so that started to kind of create for me a little bit of like topsy turvy bullshit. But so, okay. So getting back to like the, 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 the flow, the timeline of your story, uh, what was it that started, that started to make you break free from that? So, okay. So what's interesting about your story is that a lot of our listeners sort of like, gradually like me personally uh as opposed to brady like gradually like become more liberal and sort of like shed certain rules with like a certain number of excuses or whatever and then you make your way out but you were sort of you were like entrenched in in fundamentalism and then you were like i'm i gotta get out of here so how did how did that process happen for you yeah um there were some little things along the way i think that uh made holes in my armor, chinks in my armor, right? Um, So thinking of where women 
stand or fall or kneel into fundamentalism, <laughs> right? You've sure. got God way up here, and then the pastor, minister just under God, and then the husband, and then way down here, mm-hmm. you have the wife. And <laughs> yeah. that that didn't that didn't sit right with me sometimes um, because it's hard to be completely obedient to a human being that is fallible. Mm-hmm. And they sometimes make very poor decisions. And you know, those decisions are going to negatively impact you as a wife and also your children, but you don't have any recourse. You're just mm-hmm. forced to go along. So those, some of those decisions were pretty hard. Mm-hmm. And um, he ended up um, taking a pastoring job in an even smaller town. Oh my God, in Saskatchewan. It was a nightmare. And, uh, and the whole time there was very, difficult just one thing after another and it was quite a calamitous time in my personal life my parents divorced my nephew went to prison there was one thing after another Mm. and here i was trying to live as pleasing of a life as i could and then uh our youngest daughter received a life-threatening diagnosis Mm. and we went bankrupt uh as a partly as a result of Mm. that And so that was just like, that was it and received no emotional support from the church at all. Mm. If anything was just questioned, well, you know, what sin might you be harboring? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I finally just thought, I'm done. I've bet on the wrong horse. Like that everything about my life Mm -hmm. has been completely wrong. And Mm. uh, so that was very devastating and Mm. shocking and not at all what I expected for myself or my life. It wasn't what I wanted. Mm. Um, And my marriage was also coming apart at this time. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it had really been a series of traumas very close together. We Mm. didn't even have time to catch our breath in between them. And that's what ultimately shook me free from my cognitive dissonance was those tragedies that came. And it just made me go, what the hell is happening here? This is not how it's supposed to be. Mm. God, yes. Oh, my God. Uh, That's like what my brain just repeated over and over and over was, it was not supposed to be like this. It was not supposed to be like Mm -hmm. this. And then, Mm -hmm. but what you're saying, that what I really resonated with was what you said about you, you bet on the wrong horse. And there comes a point in my situation too, where I put all of my eggs in these, in this one basket and it got to the point where it's like, okay, if I don't fucking take my eggs out of here, we're all going to get smashed, right? you know, and there just comes a part where you, you have to wake up to that and just like you said, just have that cognitive dissonance just shook free and God, it, what a relief though. I'm, I mean, it, yes. yeah, it isn't, it isn't, it isn't, it, it is isn't, right? right. But, but it's not like anything, <laughs> it's not like anything gets like immediately fixed, but it's, it's like dropping one big burden that you don't need to be doing, but also your body is going to have to take a while to adjust to God, (laughs) but it's going to have to like adjust to that, like that load being different. Yeah, that's right. The, the, the image that I often use of it is uh, a beach ball that's held underwater for too Mm. long. And eventually you can't hold it under there. And Mm -hmm. that thing is going to come up to the surface and there's going to be fallout Mm -hmm. um, because it's such a huge um, release of energy. Mm -hmm. And um, so my children had a 
front row seat to my gong show deconversion, which mm. I'm sure was that was traumatizing in itself <laughs> to them. And they're they're adults now; they're 20 and 22, um, and um, have very close relationships with my daughter and with their dad. He also has uh, walked his own journey away from the church. Oh, good. Um, and we all just remain very close. That's nice. Oh, that sounds so nice. Um, I wish my parents and people, you know, a bunch of people in my life would have just like, oh yeah, I'm out too, you know. <laughs> Are any of your family members available to talk shit about your gong show de- uh, deconstruction? Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, right. We'll get. We'll be having a. We'll be featuring a snippet like a. Uh, audio audio clips of them at the beginning one of the like documentaries that i watched were about these like mormon boys who finally got out of it and the first thing that they did was they dyed their hair and gave each other mohawks hell yeah i wish we would have done that yeah. all, all three of yeah. us you guys want to do i mean i don't know like that's cool but like i just like had sex with somebody that's true. <laughs> that was way more I ran fun to the tattoo parlor there you go nice nice what did, what did um, you get am i allowed to ask that Oh yes, um, my um, so when my oldest daughter turned sixteen or was turning sixteen, she said um, she wanted to get a tattoo, and I was like, "Well, she wanted it when she was 14. I said, "No freaking way!" <laughs> but at sixteen, they'll do it in Canada if you have parental permission. So I said, "Well, you have to do some research. I want to know what you want to get, why you want to get it, and then also that you know how to care for it." And so I see the Om symbol just behind you guys on the oh, wall yeah, there. Uh-huh, yeah. And she said, Mom, that's what I've chosen. Oh, that's and, a really good and choice. I want you to get one that matches. So they, we both have incorporated that Om symbol, but they, our tattoos are different. But that was the first tattoo for both of us. Um, I love that. She has had many more. Canadian girls really like tattoos. And so I just American have one group. more. But yeah, it was, uh, Very cool. it was significant for me because it was letting go it was releasing some of the boundaries hmm. that that i had kept yeah. myself yeah. wrapped in so yep Very cool. my parents were mortified my, they're mortified <laughs> mortified my my dad is still deeply religious oh, my okay. mom is much more uh flexible shall we say yeah um so we're gonna take a break when we get back well we're gonna talk about uh, how the fuck you became a counselor after all that <laughs> so I, i'm interested in that that'll be good uh, all right we're gonna take a quick break oh hello there chuck <laughs> i didn't see you there how are you hmm? good just uh editing the episode what's up <laughs> what's up oh you commoner and your common talk i guess i'm what you would say <laughs> doing not much <laughs> what is this chuck pst. Chuck, it's me, your pal Brady. I'm practicing patronizing, so I'm working on being more condescending to people. <laughs> oh, do you have any idea where Matt can get some crumpets around here? <laughs> uh, why are you doing this? You know, for our Patreon, we've been asking people to patronize our page, and I didn't want to ask them to do something I wasn't willing to do it myself, so I figured I'd get some practice in. Oh, God. Brady, no, that's, huh? that's what? not what it means. Oh, no? Listen. Listeners can go to our Patreon page, pick the level you want to contribute. Oh. Each level has special rewards. Okay. Like exclusive life after minisodes. Or not safe for work bloopers? Uh, or like a monthly collection of deconstruction memes. And even personal consultations or meet up with your favorite host, Chuck and Brady? Yeah. Brady. Patreon.com slash the life after. <laughs> I guess even you could find it. <laughs> Welcome back to The Life After. 
We're here with uh, our guest Janice and Brady. Hi, Brady. Hey. Uh, Janice, so, okay, so we just talked about your, your leaving fundamentalism, um, which is like, I, I love the way you're just like, just hit the brakes and we're like, I'm getting out of here. I'm taking this head covering off. You are not, I'm taking this head covering off and like left it in the, I'm picturing you're like driving down an ambiguous highway, like in the head covering, <laughs> like flies the, at the camera. The first episode of Breaking the Bad. Horizon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, except without the underwear. Um, there was a burial, actually. There was a burial the, of your of your head covering. Oh, tell me that story. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's it's really important in recovery uh, to acknowledge what's gone on, where mm. you've come from, what's happened, where you're at now, mm. uh, and just having some kind of releasing ceremony. So for me, that involved a burial. Very cool. My head I love it. I did, don't need it anymore. Did anybody say some words or anything? Did you have? Just me. Just you? Just yeah. Me. Good. Mm. That's beautiful. Was though. it like in your backyard or was it a special place? That was a couple houses ago. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I should have put a little stone, a little gravestone. Somebody's going to be like digging. <laughs> Somebody's going to be like, oh, you know, I want to put the garden bed here and then like a head covering and then the police are going to come. And <laughs> Well, I have a question. When you kind of did that ceremony, was that during a time that you were going through therapy to go through your fundamentalism, or was this kind of a thing that you were discovering as you were uh, pursuing counseling? Well, so when I uh, divorced religion, it was right around the same time I was divorcing my husband. The marriage was also coming apart. Uh, and I decided to go back to school and I always have had somewhat of a counselor's mindset and heart for other people. So I thought I'll go back to school uh, for counseling, become a professional counselor. And while I was doing my schooling, I mean, it just brings up everything because you have to be prepared to work with other people in their own situations of loss and grief. So you first have to be sure that you've really dealt with your own. And so it was a time for me to explore some pretty dark places, some mm. pretty hard places mm -hmm. that had to do directly with my um, loss of faith. Mm. Mm. That transition is so tricky and difficult. And it, I, yeah, I, I love that you had a ritual for that because it's just so helpful and it's something that, it's like something that, you know, it's an Ebenezer of sorts, if you will. Decree, yeah. <laughs> I know <laughs> to use a biblical reference um it's something that you can go back to and be like oh yeah no i decided like i literally buried that and that's super cool so okay so you did so you went to, back to school to be a counselor what what went into that decision what because for me like making the decision to trust like for a lot of fundamentalists like going from like i'm deep into this like religion and this fundamentalism and this rigidity to like I'm trusting science and psychology. It seems like such a huge leap to me. And just to trust it is hard, but to be like, oh, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna now. master that stuff. Yeah. So what? How did yeah. that? How did that work for you? Well, my deconversion was very lonely. I didn't know anybody else who had deconverted. Same. And frankly, I didn't even have the words for it. I mean, I could sit in front of my computer and 
and I didn't know the word deconstruct or deconvert or religious Mm -hmm. trauma or anything like that. And so who, how could I possibly get in touch with other people? Um, So I just kind of went limping along Mm. in my life, trying to just keep going. Like everything I ever believed in and thought about myself had dissolved and was ash all around me, but I still had rent to pay. Mm, So you just keep going. And then while I was doing my schooling, uh, the weight of the grief really started to show up for me. Mm. I started to understand and I realized I had to face this. I had to look at this. And then um, along the way, so after I had completed my schooling, I ran into Dr. Marlene Winnell on the internet. And of course, she's written her book, Leaving the Fold. And I saw her, um, some, an old interview, I think she was maybe on CNN. um, And I was just so impressed. Uh, And I suddenly felt like, okay, there's at least one person, one other person that can relate to me. So I reached out to uh, Marlene and went to some of her retreats and started growing my own support network Mm. and it made Mm. such a profound difference for Mm. me to be able to talk about what happened and be with other people who had been just as um devout in their beliefs yes Mm. and they knew what it was like to walk away from that and some of them were ministers and so they lost their career uh some if people were maybe uh involved in jehovah's witness or mormonism they step away from that and they entirely lose their family i Mm. lost my christian community i lost all my Mm. church friends um but i still had you know my brothers are are atheist my children i still have contact with them so Mm -hmm. i have that but i still had you know other painful losses Mm. so so you so it sounds to me like the, the the psychological approach that marlene has which is obviously i think super effective very uh, to use a Pokemon term, super effective. <laughs> very, very, obviously very effective. Very, it was it was helpful for you. You found a sense of community. You also found a sense of direction, which is maybe one of the hardest things about that about deconverting. And you were like, oh, this is this seems to be a, a good path to follow. Yeah, I um, I had already had my own counseling practice um for a year or two by the time i i stumbled across marlene and her important work and i had been trying to figure out how you know where do i want to specialize what do i want to do um and it really solidified for me as i started meeting and coming in contact with more and more people who are struggling with religious trauma syndrome trying to get their lives back together Mm -hmm. uh I, i had not realized how deep and wide this issue mm-hmm. is. Right, right. Um, so now I've really focused my energy into working with other people who are in recovery. So I, I love your approach. I was, I was looking at your website. Uh, okay. So Janice has a, a, as I mentioned earlier, has a workshop called divorcing religion. Uh, it's a seven module workshop. Uh, it's like a week by week thing. You go through these different uh, concepts. You work through your own stuff. You do some writing. You do some thinking. You and it's online. Some, it's, it's online. online. Yeah, so it's yeah, very easy to access. 
and uh, it I I think it's a I think it's a fantastic step by step approach. I mean, there I think there are probably a lot of ways to approach this that are effective, and I definitely think this is one of the ways that is effective if you're looking for something. So I wanted to ask you. I don't want to like. You know, it's like tempting to like just let's just go through all these modules, but like that would you know spoil the <laughs> surprise, right? So let I wanted to ask you what are some of the what are some of the biggest divergencies from like from good mental health that Christianity teaches? In other words, like what what are the things that Christianity, evangelicalism, fundamentalism teach? that are the most divergent from what we actually know about mental health that stand out to you? Hmm. Um, well, the I can tell you the main areas that clients bring to me yeah. that I see repeated over and over again. Um, purity culture mm -hmm. just has had a massive, incredibly negative impact on an entire generation. Absolutely. So when I was growing up in the church, we didn't have the name purity culture for it, but it still existed only for people like yourselves. And uh, it, it's been taken even farther where these young girls uh, go to this purity ball and pledge mm -hmm. themselves to mm -hmm. their father. And, and I'm, no, I'm never going to have sex. I'm not even, I'm not going to masturbate. I'm not going to think about, and I mean, good Lord, if you happen <laughs> to be attracted to the same sex, like, right. uh, and right. so, and then I have people uh, interactions with people now who have left uh, religion and maybe they're still a virgin and right. they're in their 30s yep. and 40s, some of them, and they're saying, I yep. don't even know how to approach a person for a date. I wouldn't know what to do on mm -hmm. a date. It's just there are such huge gaps in their uh, awareness. Well, not to mention, like, so. I mean, other people aside, like, unfamiliar with their own sexuality in yes. so many ways right and af and afraid of it afraid to afraid to um explore that and certainly um when i was uh deconstructing i felt i was finally free for the first time to explore my own sexuality and i had always known that i was attracted to women as well as to men um and i got to a point where i felt like okay this is a part of me i'm going to look at and explore and go further with and uh really enjoyed it was mm -hmm. wonderful my current partner is uh is a male um but i have had relationships with women as well mm -hmm. um but that's something that i would not have felt the freedom to do mm. if i was still uh, entrenched in my religion oh, for sure yeah <laughs> not even yeah. close right that's right so purity culture is a big one um certainly the grief aspect so i remember how many times going to christian funerals and they say we don't grieve as the world grieves oh, essentially yeah, yeah. which shuts you down oh. invalidates your sadness yeah you better not feel sad because you're not being grateful to god if you're feeling sad wow. because right. your loved one has gone on to glory and you should just be rejoicing and oh, that is such yeah a, i, I forgot toxic. about that it's horrible. It is. And it fundamentalism. So we talk about fundamentalism right now in terms of religion, but you can be a, have a fundamentalist attitude towards um, nutrition, towards ecology. And it's similar if you say you've been a vegetarian your whole life or a vegan even, and then you get pancreatic cancer. Mm -hmm. That's like, what? 
the hell. Mm -hmm. And it's a similar thing if you've been a Christian your whole life and your child gets killed by a drunk driver. Mm, That's a good point. So now you're Mm -hmm. grieving this massive loss, but at the same time, uh, all of your beliefs are falling away too because I followed all the rules Mm -hmm. and this is what's happening. Right. So grief uh, is a very big deal. Uh, and not to mention, like, if the person that passed is not a Christian, then you have a whole mm-hmm. different, like, it doubles down on the grief. And now it's like an eternal, it's like a, it's so much worse than, like, they are just asleep, right? It's like they're Absolutely. suffering. There's, like, mm-hmm. this belief. Absolutely. Yeah. And then there can also be a lot of guilt uh, that that people pile right. on top of themselves to. Should have been able Talk to about convince stuck that points. person somehow. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's what I was thinking of what you were saying at the beginning is having those things where we try to blame ourselves and we fit it in strange ass ways that God just normally wouldn't ever be there. Yeah, it's Mm. so true. And, and, um, so one of the, one of the modules actually in the course, I think it's, it might be my favorite one. It's about grief. It's called uncomfortably numb, grieving your losses, Um, and it's the second module and I feel like it is so important because people who have never been religious, they don't understand when you, if you tell them I'm not a, I'm not a Christian anymore, or I don't believe anymore. They're just like, so what you grew up, you stopped believing in Santa, big deal. Mm -hmm. They don't Mm -hmm. get that this was your fundamentalists, your beliefs and your identity are totally enmeshed Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. enmeshed. So when that's ripped apart, um, it is extremely challenging to so, to go on. Yes, yeah, and I, I um, so I want to I want to circle back to that because I think that's mm-hmm. super important. But I want to rewind a little bit. So we talk a lot about we have talked so much about on this show about purity culture, but it's like I always feel like we can't talk about it enough because it's like it is it is so it has such a broad effect, right? Like it, it really, it disembodies you. It teaches you not to trust your body. So then you have issues with like, you know, anxiety and depression and like trust and like feeling the feelings that you have in your body and all, and all of that. I mean, just even sexuality aside, it just has all of these other broad effects on the way that we experience humanity, right? What in your experience do you think is the, is the, <laughs> and I mean, it's, it's, it's never this simple because we all have to work through things on our own, but like, what is the antidote? What's the opposite of purity culture? What can, what can our listeners do to help themselves just push through that? That's a great question. Right. Um, I think, uh, education is paramount. Mm-hmm. We need to educate ourselves very thoroughly on our own body and also our partner's body. We need Mm. to know, we actually need to know the names of things. We need to know the function of Mm. things, how parts work, how parts fit together. Um, uh, Even, so I know this is, can be a sticky topic or a thorny topic, um, the whole idea of pornography, Mm -hmm. but um, some people, it, it could be helpful for them to, to maybe start viewing some more intimate um, programming, shall we say? Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And certainly there are there are ethical boundaries, and there are there is an ethical push on in that community. Right. Yeah. Um, right, yeah. 
but so for some people, uh, yeah, maybe watching some things might be helpful just to, it's like you have to really grow yourself up because you've been kept very infantile. You've mm-hmm. been kept, you're, you're really just pre, pre-pubescent. And there's been such a disconnect. Um, you have to bring about that integration somehow that mm-hmm. you are, you're in this body and you're allowed to feel pleasure and you're allowed to give pleasure to other mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. It's really so much like you're constantly trying to flush out all the chewing gum that's stuck in your brain mm-hmm. from all this nonsense that we were indoctrinated with. So it takes some uh, education. It also takes a lot of self-compassion mm-hmm. because we don't do ourselves any good when we're beating ourselves up for not knowing this. Right. Or maybe we We've said, feel like we've gone on a date and we've really screwed it up by saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing or something. What do you mean by self-compassion? Because that's a foreign concept to a lot of people who grew up in fundamentalism. Because mm-hmm. you're bad, right? So, like, you don't deserve needs, you don't deserve compassion, you don't deserve happiness, right? It's. It, I mean, thing, it's... Yeah, go ahead. I, I like to have my clients... Um, make a list uh, of 25 things and 25 can be pretty challenging Mm -hmm. (laughs) 25 things that you really like about yourself and it's not they're not physical attributes they can be things that you feel good about they you know it can be uh i got my driver's license it can Uh be something like that it can be um people feel safe with me like just really mm. we're we tend to be like velcro for negative and like teflon for positive so we really have mm. to be feeding ourselves uh, reminding ourselves i i am worthwhile mm. i do have these qualities that are really great and that that are good for me and that are good for society God, but we have so to good. work at it i like what you said about being velcro for bad and teflon for good because i think that from my calvinistic background and also just fundamentalism in general growing up southern baptist we were kind of conditioned to do that if we did anything good it's like oh it wasn't us it was the lord through us you were you know if we did anything bad well we knew that the lord would never lead us in temptation and so it had to be from us so it kind of becomes like this auto way of sorting out each one of our experiences and even coming out of that we're kind of haunted by the ghost of that fundamentalism because it's what's keeping us from being able to rest you know Mm -hmm. it's constantly making bumps in the night yes this is where cognitive behavioral therapy can be very helpful um and where um part a big part of a counselor's task is uh accompanying the client on a journey of acceptance Mm. so they're really you're holding up a mirror to them, a lantern and a mirror, really. Um, you you want them to see themselves accurately and mm. accept uh, what has happened. But also the, the point of the present is where the power is. So maybe these difficult things happen to us. But today we're right here. Mm-hmm. It's right here and right now. Mm-hmm. And we have a choice in how to proceed. So cool. I would define cognitive behavioral uh, therapy as being able to kind of take our thoughts 
judging if they're helpful or not and be not judgmental when we're listening to them. Right. And then to say, okay, this is helpful or it's not. Um, but I hear some people who come from fundamentalist backgrounds because for me, it was very helpful. That's, you know, that therapy was, was very beneficial to me, but I've heard some people say that it kind of brrings them back to that um hold every thought captive. take each thought into right. captivity. Yeah. Yes. so what would you right. wh- what would you say to that because it wasn't my experience hmm. so i don't know how to really um explain that in a way that would be helpful for those people who might be experiencing i mean that. the difference is, i'm gonna jump in real quick because I, sure. I think the difference is that in one, you're holding your thoughts against an unattainable standard, and in another one, you're you're saying like, "Is this helpful to me or not?" Right? You know. But when you're a fundamentalist, questioning "Is this helpful?" is sometimes going to be kind of a it gets wrapped up in yeah. right, but it's it can also be liberating to like ask that question because uh, yeah. you've never been allowed That's to a good before. Point. Right? That's a good point. But and, but maybe... and what we explore is whether it's true. Is this, so I have this thought, well, is that thought true? Mm. What evidence do mm. we have mm-hmm. um, that, that 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 thought is true? Um, because, of course, that's, anxiety gets all wrapped up in that, you know, and I can't, I can't take, I can't go in an elevator because the elevator might crash or whatever. Then you have to be looking at, well, how often do elevators actually crash? Like, yeah. looking mm. at it that way. Mm. That's how I had to start doing it as a kid like after a horror movie. It's funny because we actually brought up as a joke Mothman prophecies, but I remember very specifically seeing <laughs> that movie and, and driving home thinking that Richard Gere was going to attack my car with his, you know, no. his, his powdery wings. I'm, it's been a while since I've seen that movie. Yeah. And he's such a good Buddhist. I don't think he would ever do that. <laughs> yeah. but, but if I have right, my right, headlights right. on and those moth tendencies come in, yeah. those moth instincts, you got to go for it. But I remember as a kid, like, seeing a movie like that and being scared and then rationalizing with myself of, well, what are the chances of this actually happening? And why would I see this monster after seeing this movie? Because me seeing this movie is not at all going to affect the chances of me. So I like, I had to logic my way out of that, that fear, but it's not that much different of what I do as an adult and how I process my own things and how I process um, because I look at fundamentalism um, or belief in a, a scary literal God as kind of the same way as I as I approach my anxiety and everything is by saying, is this real? Do I have evidence that this is going to be a threat or am I creating anxiety in my own head, creating my own circles that don't need to be there. One thing that helped me was to finally learn how to not have judgment over my thoughts, which I think was a hard part of cognitive behavioral therapy for some people is to to have to learn how to look at something without judgment Mm. when we're told as christians we don't judge but really what we mean by that is well we're not going to send you to hell we're not going to send you to hell you know that's what judging means or uh, some other thing that that has like a very religious idea but non-judgment thinking that isn't how real people define it. How would real people define that um especially in the context of uh, cognitive behavior therapy I really think um, just being aware of the of the thought. I mean, even just trying to accept it as 
So this is the thought that I have. But for me, sometimes I have to go farther back and say, where did this thought originate from? Because that helps me to release myself from any judgment. Mm-hmm. Oh, this thought came. And that sometimes if people have a really strong trigger reaction, I encourage them to stop. Well, first, you want to remove yourself from the situation. If you can go into the bathroom, get away, have a little bit of privacy there, um, you know, pour a little bit of water on your hands, something like that. But you want to be thinking, what am I feeling? So you want to name your feeling because that cognitively, that gives you some space between the emotion if you have to stop and think about what am I feeling. And then I want you to think about the last time that you felt what you're feeling this intensely. What was the situation? And the time before that and the time before that, I want you to try and trace it back. And often it's something that happened in childhood. But once we actually get to that point where it's like, oh, I remember my dad was standing over me and he was yelling and he had his hand up like this. Uh, and and that's the same feeling I get when I'm in this situation. Mm, yes. Then I don't blame myself so much anymore. I like what you said about the water. I feel like having the water just like a physical sensational like thing to kind thing, of like help yeah, center sure. you. I think that's really good advice. Yes. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, and, and even giving yourself permission when you're feeling triggered, giving yourself permission to leave that situation for a minute. Yes, you don't have to, yeah, you know, you're, yeah. you're an adult. You don't, unless you're just, you have to stay busy watching your young child and you have to be there. Any other situation virtually, you can leave. So give yeah. yourself permission uh, sometimes if you need to step away. I love that. Um. So I want to, we need to take a break, but before we take a break, I wanted to, I wanted to point out one other thing is that you mentioned, so specifically talking about, specifically talking about purity culture, you Mm. mentioned education as being one of the most important things, which I completely agree with. There's so much to know. And we were denied that education, especially if you had a Christian education, but even so, like, it's not like public education really dives into the functionality of your sexuality, which is, you know, really important to know about. But I would even, I would I even say vaginas were in the front until I was like 29. <laughs> <laughs> like a belly button or something. A little below it. probably. Yeah. A little, a little below little. the belly button. Um, 29. How old? <laughs> how old? <laughs> I had a kid by 20. Yeah, 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 yeah. Somehow, we don't know how that worked, but um, it was in the dark. That's all we know. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but I, even beyond that, sex positivity versus sex negativity, right? Like, I mean, obviously, fundamentalism is extremely sex negative. It is like any sexual feelings that you have are bad unless you're a married person and they are towards your your spouse, right? In, in all of that, there's just so much to counter that. There's so many ways that people experience pleasure and, and they're all valid. All of the ways are valid, you know, whether it's viewing pornography or whether it's like nipple clamps or whether it's like, you know, orgies or whatever, like within, within like, uh, you know, the bounds of consent and respect and all that stuff, like pleasure is just a good thing and it's okay and it's, and it's fine. And is, and if you're checking in with yourself and if you're feeling good about it. Oh my God, if you touch your nipples one more time. I didn't touch my nipples. Like five times while you're doing this I did not touch my, no, my nipples are here. Did I touch my belly? My nipples aren't, my nipples aren't down here. Just go on. I'm just really getting warm in here thinking about this, okay? No, no, no. But education regarding pleasure and what pleasure can mean is like also super important. It is. And uh, actually, that's like 
the most fun uh, education that we can do when it relates to purity culture is um, educating ourselves on what feels good. Absolutely. What brings us pleasure. What And that's, you know, that's an important piece of homework. We need to give your listeners that they need to spend some time tonight in their bedroom or their yeah. bathroom or wherever. Um, figuring out what feels good to them because then they also um, need to learn how to express that to their partner. Yeah. This is what feels really good to me. And Very I cool. would love for you to do this. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And that's, yeah, I feel like that just that like took me like probably two years to get comfortable doing, you know, like expressing to my partners what I'm into. Because everything is so black and white fundamentalism. And so when it comes about like taking care of others, it's always at our expense. Mm -hmm. But you know, this whole like mutual pleasure thing isn't always available. Um, and I think that it is important to know how, what we like, right? Because if we want it done to us, we want that or the similar, you know, the, uh, whatever that version is for them done for them, you know? So part of that loving others is loving yourself. Loving yourself. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, even, even so uh, spending time masturbating is actually so there are there are more uses for it like than just you know the obvious sexual pleasure. If if you're if you feel a migraine coming on, break mm, out the vibrator. Yeah. Like there are if you're if you are uh, creatively stuck, if you're an artist or a writer or whatever. Spend some time enjoying yourself. Kind of get yeah. get those juices uh, flowing, so to speak. There, it's, it's a wonderful <laughs> it's a wonderful thing to do. We're so Absolutely. lucky to be human. Yeah, <laughs> that's I mean, a great part of being human. And the more the more orgasms men have, uh, it helps to stave off prostate cancer. Ah, oh. so it's even better. Really want to? Yes, it's important. Yeah, and it makes mm -hmm. us less jerks. Yep, it makes you less of a shithead. Uh, we're going to take true. a quick break, and when we get back, we're going to talk about Grieving God, which is not something we've gotten too into on this show, so I'm interested to see I'm where it goes. I'm really excited about this, honestly. Right back, back right after this. If you were going to die tonight, do you know where Stop. you... Stop. Just tell them about our website. Oh, just tell them to go to thelifeafter.org? Yes, they can go now, even without accepting Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. <laughs> thelifeafter.org we have a blog contact page a link to our facebook page and more all right thelifeafter.org heavenly and we're back thanks for listening everybody um we're here with janice janice so a, a, a whole week a whole segment of your workshop is is on grief and i was really excited when i saw that because we really haven't talked too much about the idea of grieving your ex religious experience, grieving the God that you were like so attached to and so close to. Um, so I have a, fr I had, I was having a conversation with a friend and I told him I would say this on the, on the show. Uh, Cause it, I thought it was great. I was talking to my friend recently and he bought a plant Um and he, well, he actually bought three plants, and and he bought the plants for the purpose of gr of grief, and he he named the plants these three different things. But one of the plants is God. He named the plant God, and he, and part of his grieving process is that he's going to take care of the plant for a while 
and that is God, and he's going to like acknowledge that it was an important part of his life and nurture that part of himself. And then when you know when he's re- when he's ready to let it go, he's I think he's just going to let the plant die <laughs> and just sort of like it's like a symbol, it's like a physical mm. thing that he's doing to sort of say like to, to sort of go back. I mean, he's been deconstructed for years, probably as long as I have. But he's going back and saying, like, I don't know, I never properly grieved God, so let me nurture this for a little bit. Let me spend some time with it. Let me have something physical that reminds me that it's, like, something that I need to do, and then let me let it go. And uh, I thought that was really cool, and it sort of got me thinking about grief, and then I was looking at your stuff, and, and, and you're all about it. So, what, what? how do you grieve something that doesn't exist? <laughs> wow. That's a big one. Uh Um, I I just going back to that, that uh, interesting idea that your friend has with the plant rituals are so important. Mm. We have rituals for starting and rituals for finishing rituals symbolize a time of transition in our lives. So I shared with you a little bit earlier about burying a head covering. Mm -hmm. Um, I also would encourage people to write a letter to God, to the God that they worshipped, with, and say in there all the things, all the ways they have been so disappointed, finding out that God isn't even real, mm. all the different things in there. Um, and then go to a cemetery and find an angel statue or something like that, and just sit there and read your letter. Hmm. Take someone important with you, if you like, and they can witness it. And, you know, you can come home and burn the letter in your fire pit if you want. There, you, you can make up your own kind of releasing ritual or ceremony, but it's a, it's a demarcation that symbolizes this is what I believed, and I believed it so wholeheartedly, and now I'm moving on in this other portion of my life without that belief anymore and it's acknowledging the grief that you feel Mm. and it's liberating yourself i feel like it's just so it's so often overlooked the idea when we're talking about deconstruction like a lot of people are so angry up front that it's sort Mm -hmm. of like i don't want anything to do with that so the idea of like acknowledging its importance again Mm -hmm. After all of that, is is just such a challenge. And w- recognizing that anger is a very legitimate part of the grieving process. Yes, um, damn it's, straight. It's it makes sense to be angry, but we don't want to get stuck there. When you get stuck in it, it becomes um, toxic, right? Right. But it's 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 okay to to feel anger about the years and the money. All you know, everything that I sacrifice, all the time that I invested, I could have gone to university. I could have done all these other things. Um, so it makes sense that uh, that we're going to feel some anger about those. Um, and the best thing we can do is see if we can use that anger somehow to spur us or fuel us on into change instead of staying stuck there. I'm thinking back to what we were talking earlier about a CBT of non-judgmentalness of like processing our emotions and to be able to look at them as a third party and say, Hey, that's what this emotion is not 
the judgment with it. Mm. But what the sneaky thing about anger and shit is, you know, that's that's a trigger word of like that's a sin. That's one of the deadly sins, mm. or um, or mm. not one of the deadly sins, but yeah, that's 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 considered that. So wrath. I mean, one wrath. of one of like the the trigger words that I've noticed that for for me when I say trigger words, I mean like literally like almost like magic words that were conditioned to you know have us respond in right. a certain way. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. Oh, I don't feel, I don't feel angry or I don't, I don't get angry, you know, it's a big part of, well, but no, but like one of them is like, well, well, Brady, you're bitter. You're showing bitterness. And and that, that, that word is magic because we give it that abstract power, you know, uh, because we are conditioned to give it that. But when bitterness is so ingrained in our head, um, as a, as a pushing against the, the system and power, you know, that that fucks up our ability to grieve. Yes. That's shitty, right? right. It's like one of those things that that gets us stuck and it keeps us from leaving. Yes. And even to just thinking of someone saying to you, Oh, Oh Brady, you're bitter. That, that has such an air of condescension Mm. to it and such an air of, um, like there, it's just heavy laden with judgment. Mm, oh, yeah. so and so's bitter. Oh, mm. you sound bitter. Well, you know what? Sometimes, sometimes I do feel better. Sometimes I'm pretty pissed off yeah. about all this stuff uh, that has gone on. And sometimes, but, and it's but, completely justified much of the time. Right? Yes, yes. Um, but to keep ourselves in that space, uh, I think, uh, is to short circuit our own healing. Oh, I like uh, that. Yeah. To, to prevent our growth so we don't want to we don't want to stay there um, thinking of grief uh, in in this module in the divorcing religion workshop I examined three different types of grief or loss uh, that happen that we experience uh, when we deconvert or deconstruct. Um, the first one is ambiguous loss. So ambiguous loss mm. occurs when there's no body. Mm. There's no right. closure. Okay. Mm. Maybe it's been, they've been, they've been kidnapped. They've died in an airplane wreck. They're there. They were blown up in a bomb. There's nothing left. So mm. it's uh, ambiguous. There's no closure. There's um, disenfranchised grief. And disenfranchised grief are losses that are not openly acknowledged or socially sanctioned. So if you think of a uh, maybe a person has been having an affair with someone, both parties are married, and then that one person dies. So it's your lover that's dead, but you can't mourn that loss. Oh, wow. Okay. okay. Or my, my family member went to prison for a very violent crime, uh, and he was quite young. But all of our... We could only show outrage at what he, he mm-hmm. had done, but mm-hmm. our family was also being torn apart, and we were very sad knowing that our loved one, who was only eighteen, was going to be spending you know mm. a long, long time in prison with with terrifying people. But we couldn't really grieve that, mm. um, and that is the same when we lose our faith. Society doesn't understand it. Yeah, You're right. It, and and also actually people who um, are adopted into other families they have a type of disenfranchised grief because they are only they're expected only to be grateful mm. that this wonderful loving mm-hmm. family 
took them in. They don't get to mourn the loss of their identity. Wow. And this is a this is a big deal, disenfranchised grief. Um, and then the last grief that I talk about is unresolved grief. And it tends to be cumulative in nature. And it's basically like unfinished business. So people who are taking the workshop, I'll have them make a list of losses that they that just occurred in their life. I mean, maybe they're from the time they were little. So maybe their dog died, their parents divorced, there's all these all these different things. Um, Because if we haven't, if our parents haven't modeled for us adequately how to grieve, we we don't really know how Mm. to grieve. And Mm. just that sadness gets kind of stuck inside. And what we want to do is we want to be able to bring it out and release that energy that emotion from us um sometimes i'll have people watch a very sad movie um because even if they feel like they can't cry maybe they can identify with the loss that's occurred in this movie somehow and that can get things moving for them emotionally um but grief is very significant we have multiple losses when we deconstruct it's not just one thing it's many many losses Mm. and we need to look at them and grieve for them can i share a story about some disenfranchised my how do you say it i'm sorry disenfranchised grief disenfranchised grief there you go (laughs) go. um so at the same time as my deconstruction deconstruction my uh it was in the middle of my divorce and everything was going on my best friend just died of sudden heart failure and it was really compounded on the other things that were going on and it was hard um and so i didn't have the the time to grieve the loss of him because it was literally right in the middle of my divorce and um, I was in survival mode, you know? So years later, um, and this is just like recently, there was a Netflix show called dead to me uh, that I watched one weekend and it really, it hit me about how, I am a frustrated person because I, I didn't give my ability. I didn't give myself the ability to grieve or the, the option to, um, of him who passed and also, um, Jason is his name and also God that just the idea of grieving God has never been a thing that I was able to do completely because I became so vocal about leaving fundamentalism right off the bat that I immediately got onto Twitter arguments and Facebook arguments with me saying hey i'm i i've lose i've lost god you know i'm Mm -hmm. I'm grieving losing god and then people come in and saying oh no 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 no, he's not gone uh you're just you never understood him right he's not gone you never really understood and if you kind of just change your beliefs just a little bit you don't really have to leave him but i knew in my heart of hearts that my beliefs were different because uh there was a fundamental change that happened for my mental health and for my my ability that was a switch of not taking supernatural conclusion not jumping to supernatural conclusions mm. it became a personal rule of mine that greatly simplified my life mm. um and so for me to just change those beliefs a little bit different that wasn't going to help me at all um because my beliefs have been fundamentally changed so understanding though that okay so i realize at the age of 28 or whatever that I don't believe in God anymore. And I don't think that he's real. That doesn't exqualify. It doesn't change. Doesn't automatically, uh, re 
align my emotions it's not that oh i realize he's not real so i don't feel anything it's no it's i realize he's not real and now i have to fucking grieve this concept and um it was hard because i was having to learn the vocabulary to to justify or to fight for my experience at the same time as trying to grieve that experience. Mm. And that was unhealthy. That was not a good idea for Mm -hmm. me to be doing. One, I, one thing I um, encourage clients to do um, is to list all the losses that are specifically related to their loss of faith. So there, for me, there was community there was, uh, I, I was very involved in, in music as well. So I didn't have my musical expression anymore. There was childcare available for me. Mm-hmm. There was a group of people that had my back. If my, yeah. you know, supposedly if my husband lost his job, they would take care of us. So there was all these things. Um, so it's important. Uh, and that can even be helpful for us. So we don't just feel like we're going crazy. It's like, no, look, I really did lose all of these things when I lost God. But another assignment that I have clients do is I want them to list as many gains as they can come up with to coincide with the losses, because that's how transition works. There's a loss and there's a gain. So we move from childhood into adolescence. We we lose uh, our innocence, but we gain some freedom. And so it can be, it's similar, uh, say, when we, if we divorce religion. So I, I lost uh, one community, but I gained a more open-minded mm-hmm. community. You know what I mean? Uh, I think that's an important component, too, is thinking of it in terms of our gains. What have I gained mm-hmm. from leaving that, too? Just to, uh, just to help you not to get stuck mm-hmm. in such a dark place. Yeah. And it's kind of different than a normal grieving a person or something, because it that's not always as easy. Like, oh, my mom died, but now I have an ex. You know, I have like a stepmom. You know, right. something like that. Right. But but when it comes with God and something that has so encompassing as our life, uh, you know, there there are going to be some huge things that we we gain that normally wouldn't be the case. And this is also why it's important to get involved in a support group of some kind. I know, I think you folks have one on Facebook. I have one on Facebook also called the Divorcing Religion Group. And specifically to for people to be able to come in and say, you know what, I am actually really struggling with the holidays are here. And I used to just love, you know, decorating my home or whatever it is. And they can say that in a community of people that will understand. Hmm. It's important to have mm. people that understand. If you, if you, if your wife died or your husband died, you would go to a support group for bereaved people. Mm-hmm. So we, we are bereaved people. We've yeah. lost our God. That's a pretty big loss. Yeah. That's also why I called it the divorcing religion workshop because to me, losing your faith is on par with losing yeah. your marriage. It's yeah. that significant. And I want the world to acknowledge and the, the medical and psychological community to acknowledge uh, how significant it is. Very cool. God, that's and it's also, I mean, it parallels the process of dealing with, of coping with a divorce, right? Which Absolutely. Is part of the reason you called it that as well. So He's, you won't sign my papers. <laughs> you won't sign my papers. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, about that. Um, so we we uh, we do need to wrap up, but uh, before we go, just to to reiterate, so 
uh, divorcingreligion.com. Uh, divorce, you can just search divorcing religion or you can uh, uh, Google. Uh, God damn it. I forgot your last name. Selby. Selby. Okay. 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 You can, you can Google Janice Selby. Um, uh, Janice, you also have a, a conference coming up uh, next year. What? Tell us a little bit about that. I am very excited. Yeah, about this is this pretty. Conference. This is pretty exciting. I like the lineup that you have for it. It's called the Conference on Religious Trauma, and it's happening in 2020. So we're calling it Court 2020. Cool. Um, and uh, just some of our speakers, we have uh, Dr. Marlene Winnell, Dr. Daryl Ray of Recovering from Religion, uh-huh. oh, yeah, yeah, Dr. Yeah. Dr. Yanya Lalich. I'm really looking forward. Do you know who Yanya is? I don't mm-hmm. think so. She's yeah, a, She's a cult expert, and there's actually just a new Netflix show called Explained, and there's one one episode called Cult. Yanya is in that. I was just watching Explained yesterday. They have a great episode on anxiety. I highly recommend that show. I'm a big Vox fan. It's by Vox, Vox Media, anyway. It's very cool. So Yanya is one of our speakers. Valerie, Dr. Valerie Tarico, who has some fantastic YouTube videos that I recommend for all of your listeners. Okay. What's her name again? Valerie, Valerie Tarico, okay. T-A-R-I-C-O. Cool. Uh, and uh, Janet Heimlich is going to be speaking specifically on um, childhood indoctrination. But then we have uh, an additional bunch of speakers who are going to be featured. Yasmin Mohammed, she's an activist, a former uh, Muslim. She's going to be coming. Actress Alice Gretchen, yeah. uh, Dr. Chrissy Stroop, Nathan Phelps, Chrissy uh, Jeremiah is a, Chrissy Stroop's a friend of the show, for sure. Sorry. Awesome. Yeah. I'm so looking forward to Chrissy. And did uh, you say a, a Phelps in there? Nathan Phelps. Okay. Nathan. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. yeah he came from the uh, Westboro family oh, okay yes. oh yeah 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 sure did. right of course and then um this gentleman will be very interesting jeremiah camara and he is an african-american um filmmaker and director producer in the united states okay. and he really looks at how the church the christian church has impacted the black community oh cool mm. very he, cool he's gonna be fantastically oh, awesome. interesting and we're still we're still adding um the last few speakers so oh, cool it's pretty exciting that is it's exciting be a big deal. yeah <laughs> we're look, we're looking forward to it i'm gonna try to make it if i can i don't know how uh when is it uh 2020 when it, in 2020 it's april 24th to 26th okay and it's in vancouver BC. And um, so it'll be a weekend of both speakers and workshops. So we want to have therapists there. We have many therapists coming from many different groups. And then we also want people who uh, are recovering from religious trauma and just interested public. We want them to come and we'll have workshops uh, geared for both of those groups. So it's hopefully the first of many. Um, And people can just go to www.court.com. 2020.com very cool wonderful um how can we follow you on twitter oh please please follow me i have uh two two names on there uh one is at divorce religion okay and then the other one is at wise underscore counselor (laughs) that's with two l's right 
That's what two L's is the Canadian way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was always wondering why I had yeah. two L's. Like, yeah, yeah. up at this lane? No, I love I love your. I love the Twitter. I love the subtle blast for me there. And I love that you have <laughs> that you have two different things because it makes me think that you think you're kind of like Bruce Wayne and Batman. <laughs> I actually started the divorce religion one because I was trying to, I was thinking, what would it be like to post as a man and do things like a man do? Like, I don't have my actual picture on the divorce religion one. Mm -hmm. And I try and make my posts on there more, like, not aggressive, but more, I speak my mind more um, as opposed to my professional one is more like, you know, ladylike and this sort of thing. But (laughs) my divorce religion one, I'm going to give you a why one more. I love it. I love that you have two different personas for that. That's so fun. Yeah, you got it. You got it. You got to have different headspaces. <laughs> I love it. Janice, thank you so much for being on the thank show. You. This was such a good what episode. What a pleasure. I'm and really practical. Excited. Some really I'm sorry good, that I helpful at practical. You. Yeah. <laughs> Janice, thanks so That's much for being funny. on the show. Um, thanks, you guys. As everybody, we have a Patreon. Uh, if you want to support our efforts, we have a, uh, a private online community where you can process your religious grieving like a support group for people who are deconstructing their faith except Absolutely. you don't have to meet inside of the bottom of some like moldy ass uh concrete block church you can with do shitty it coffee with shitty coffee you can do it online with in your, your own bathrobe i got a new bathrobe by the way from amazon uh okay so nice uh rate uh rate review, review and subscribe on, on whatever you listen to your podcasts on help us out and uh as always thanks for listening and, and remember if you don't go to church sunday sunday is just, just a, a second, second saturday, saturday. <laughs>